In this episode, we will learn how to create a harmonious, healthy, and happy relationship with the help of an author and distinguished trial attorney. He has been named a super lawyer in New York every year since 2007. The New York Law Journal named him to be the New York State Medical Practitioner Hall of Fame in 2014. Welcome to the show, Philip. How are you doing? Uh, very well, Toby. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this episode. I really appreciate your presence here today, and I'm looking forward to the wonderful topic we're going to be discussing in this episode. It's all about love. It's all about relationship, and it's something, you know, that drives the world, basically. So it's very, very essential to us. But before we, we dive down that path, I would just love to get to know you better, Philip. I would love to learn from your life and career journey, you know, as studying law, becoming an attorney, becoming a super lawyer in New York every year since 2007, for example. So would you like to like share briefly your life story with us, your journey with us a little bit? Uh, sure. I, uh, I have been a lawyer for over 40 years. I've been a trial lawyer uh, specializing in medical malpractice and personal injury. Um, that has been, I've had a very uh, successful and rewarding career doing that. And uh, what I have learned actually in the practice of law is, uh, which was helpful in writing this book, <clears throat> is how to research uh, medical issues. And uh, that became very helpful in terms of researching uh, the different areas that deal with relationship issues, namely psychiatry, psychology, uh, biology, uh, neurology, neurosciences, um, chemistry. Uh, so I was able to dig in, and I'll tell you how I got into this in a moment, but I was able to dig into this subject through the experience that I've had uh, in my uh, professional career. And um, they are, that information is scattered throughout the book that I've written uh, that you're referring to, <clears throat> which is entitled The Essential Rules of Love. Um, now, that book uh, deals with actually my third marriage. So if we're talking about um, relationships, I have a little insight into them, a little experience. I was married three times. The first two marriages ended in divorce. I have three children from my first marriage, none from my second. But um, get along with both uh, my ex-wives very well. Um, and... Uh, it was my third relationship with my late wife, Susan, um, that formed the basis of this uh, book that I wrote and the insights that I learned uh, about love and relationships that I share in the book. And I hope will be helpful to your audience. Um, it has been helpful to people that I know who've responded back to me and told me how it has been helpful to them. So, um, that's really my life story in a nutshell. Yes, thank you so much for sh for sharing that and giving us a, you know a, a quick summary of that. I, that's really lovely. I, you know, the purpose of this conversation is based on your book, basically, like your book entitled "The Essential Rules of Love." You know, follows the death of your third wife, Susan. Like you said, um, she passed away in April 2017. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. And um, you, you know, you. you you wrote a lot of rules, basically, that you you learned from that relationship or from the past relationships to like some do's, some don'ts. But I would just love you to tell us a little bit about Susan and the inspiration behind this book. Okay. 
Well, Susan was a wonderful woman. Uh, she was from the Midwest. She was brought up in uh, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. She went to Syracuse University. She was an architect. Um, she had been married once before and divorced and had two uh, lovely children <clears throat> who I've come to be a father to, actually, uh, to both of them, a boy and a girl, Lindsay and Danny. And um, we actually met, it's an interesting story, we met on Craigslist. I had, <laughs> this was before there were even dating sites. There was no match, yeah. no bumble, none of that stuff. Um, I yeah. put an ad for a, uh, uh, a share of a home in, real, in uh, East Hampton for the summer. And um, I said, you know, it's a two-bedroom home. You'd have your own bedroom. And uh, it, it wasn't a personal ads, but it said real. It said home in the Hamptons, uh, two-bedroom home. Uh, you have your own bedroom, your own bathroom, uh, two months, July and August. Um, you know, so you have your own privacy near the beach, whatnot. And by the way, uh, I happen to be divorced, and I happen to like fine dining, and I happen to like dancing, and I happen to like museums. And if you rent <laughs> this house, who knows what could happen? And yeah, and. Uh, she answered that ad. She had a number of other people, um, but she was the only person I contacted, and uh, we hit it off um, right from the beginning. Um, and uh, she was a wonderful lady, and as I say in the book, there are many things that she did to encourage uh, our relationship and to foster it <clears throat> in terms of, and, and it's very interesting because there's a lot of research and a lot written on this. I didn't know until I started writing the book. Uh, she was an excellent cook, really enjoyed it, and was very good at it. And she cooked for myself, of course, and for my boys and her family. And this was a vehicle to bring everyone together. And the research shows and proves what she did just by this act of cooking, which is showing and expressing her love, not just for her children, but for my children. And they came to appreciate that, and they respected her for that, and looked forward to that. And it was a real bonding experience that I lived through with her. And then in writing the book, when I started doing the research and reading about it, I found that there's a lot written about the benefits of cooking um, in relationships um, and how helpful it is to do that. Even just two people, one of the things we talk about and I'll talk about the, the rules, the do's and don'ts. One of the things is to do activities together and participate in things together. And cooking is a great example of that. Um, one person prepares the food, the other person cooks it. You have a couple of glasses of wine while you're doing this. It's a joint effort to accomplish something, uh, spending time together and enjoying your company with the, with the other person. It is a perfect example of one of the rules of love to do things together, activities together. Um, so that was, that was Susan. Um, the other thing she loved was gardening. She was a great gardener. And uh, we bought a house together on the east end of Long Island where we built our own garden. We really did it from scratch. Um, she was the, uh, the, the boss of the garden, and she uh, really controlled it. Uh, but I contributed a lot of the, uh, the hard work and labor, and uh, it was another joint effort that we did um, that um, you, when, you, when you go into something together and you start something together and you see it flourish, 
it is as if it was flourishing like our love was flourishing at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And it was uh, another great activity that we participated in together uh, that really helped uh, bring us together and, and foster and, and, and bond our relationship. Um, yeah. So that's that's really the story about Susan. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure you. You miss her every day. Maybe when you visit the garden, for example, or whatever you are doing some activities that you used to do together before in the past. Yeah, she passed uh, April fifth, two thousand seventeen, from ovarian cancer, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think it was still. Mm. Wow, wow, that's a that's that's a wonderful love story. That, that's a great love story. That, yeah. Everyone out there, or some people, a lot of people, you know, wish for, or you know, are desiring to to have also. Well, you know, from from your experience, you know, having gone through three marriages, for example, and your experience so far, maybe with friends and life, basically, how, how would you, at this point in your life, define love? Well, that's a great question. That's a fabulous question, Toby. That is the first chapter of my book, actually, because if you are going to be in a relationship and you want to foster a relationship, a good relationship, one of the first questions I asked when I started doing the research and writing for this book is, what is love? I mean, what is it really? And um, it turns out that the most knowledgeable people, uh, for instance, Eric Fromm, a very noted uh, psychologist, said, love is action. It is doing for other people, doing for uh other people love your family, doing for them, or in a relationship, your spouse or your partner is doing things for them. It's action. It's not passive. It is assertive. Um, another very uh, well-known, famous psychiatrist, uh, Harry Stack Sullivan, uh, put it this way, and he said, love, you know you're in love with somebody when you put their interests on the same footing as your own. When their interests are as important as yours, then you know you're in love with that person. Um, I think that's a very telling um, description of what love is. Um, Thomas Lewis, a noted psychiatrist, one of the books that I've read and I quote uh, in my book, um, talks about meeting the other person's needs. You know when you're in love when you try and meet, and each of you meet each other's needs, whatever they may be. Um, So those are the three best examples of what, uh, I I think, of what love uh, is. And I think it's very helpful to people to have an understanding uh, going into a relationship. I mean, if you're young and you're starting a relationship, uh, this may be your first relationship, um, serious relationship. Um, to know that, to have that kind of footing, that that's really what you're, you're shooting for, what your goal is um, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, a relationship. Yeah, yes. And, you know, you are totally right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. When you are going to a serious relationship, you should be able to put the, the need or the interest of the other person, you know, equal to yours or maybe above yours if you are giving a sacrifice and that person also is supposed to be willing to do the same thing for you too yeah yeah and i love the fact that you know you you put a lot of research into your book you know um, you know finding out a lot of things not just from you and your and susan's experience also so i would love to 
to find out if like there's a science behind love or if there's a science behind falling in love. Yeah. Um, so what happened is uh, after she died, I was terribly distressed. And uh, as one of the ways to deal with that grief, I started just writing stories about us, things that we did, places that we went, places that we traveled, um, and just to write about us. And in doing so, while I was doing that, I said, you know what, let me start doing some reading and research about what it is that I'm writing about. What is this thing called love? Um, and what is it that makes a relationship? So I started reading about psychiatrists, psychologists. They were the play first places I started. Um, and then I got into neuroscience. And to answer your question uh, that you just asked, yes, there is a science. Science studies what love is. Um, and... You know, you, you may have heard the expression love at first sight. Um, yeah. there, there is that phenomenon. There, there is that phenomenon. Um, that's not what happened to Susan and I. We kind of grew into loving each other over a period of time. But what it turns out, what science and uh, the neurosciences scientists realize is that, and they've studied the brain, uh, and they've studied it with functional MRIs, which is a technique where you look at the brain and you look at the blood flow in the brain and you see what areas of the brain lights up when, in these particular studies, they would show a picture of the loved one and they would see what's going on in your brain. Well, the areas of the brain that lighted up, lit up, excuse me, were the same areas of the brain that deal with addiction, cigarette addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. It's the same areas of the brain because when you see somebody, when you're with somebody in love, you get dopamine starts flowing and it makes you feel good. And you want to repeat yeah. that. So it feels good. The brain wants to repeat that. And you want to be with that person. You think about that person. You're obsessed with that person. Why? Because it's making your brain feel good. The uh, dopamine is, is, is flowing through your brain. Um, so it's, it's, it's very fascinating that there actually is a physical manifestation in your brain of what happens when you're in love. And that's been yeah. demonstrated by uh, neuroscientists and researchers. <laughs> yeah, I find it so funny that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's related to that part of our brain that also um, reacts when we're addicted to something. So that means love could be a drug also. Oh, love. Isn't that a song? Love is a drug? I think that's a song. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's more real than you, than you think. I mean, it's actually going on. It's actually going mm. on. And then mm. that's when you get those very intense feelings of attraction and, and desire. And you're obsessed with the person. You can't get them off your mind. I mean, that kind of happens. And then after time, that that wanes, but that still ha happens in your brain five years later, 10 years later, when you're with, you know, the person that you love, Those, that same thing still happens. Yes, that's strong feeling. That's, yeah, yes. In your book, in chapter two, I believe, uh, where you talked about the, the benefits of love, you opened up with a quote from Nature Boy, which says that the greatest thing we will ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. It's, so, I quote, I quote many songs, but I didn't know that Nature Boy had that line in it. It's the last line. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that the song, it's been popularized by many people, but I didn't know that the song was about love. 
But you're absolutely right. The last line in that song is that um, what he come, came to learn from Nature Boy uh, was the best thing was to love and be loved in return. It is yeah. It what makes, and in the rest of that chapter, I talk about what other people talk about, the benefits of love. It makes you whole. It makes the person whole. Uh, it gives the person a reason for being, a reason for living, um, to, uh, to, to, to love someone else and, and to be loved in return. Um, it was quite a, uh, quite a, a shocking thing for me to read that lyric in that song, um, yeah. because it was totally unexpected that that came from that song. And the interesting thing yeah, about yeah. that is, um, uh, after doing all this research and whatnot, if you look at literature and poetry and music, you will see, and I quote not much of it in the book, that many authors, poets, and lyricists already know what love is about. And we, and we really know it because it's expressed in music and poetry and literature. And it's a, uh, it kind of gives you a sense of, uh, of well-being that this is not something foreign, but it's something that everyone knows and everyone can attain. And um, mm. if you just find the right person and do the right things. Mm. Yes, yes, do the right things. Because I was going to ask you, like, you know, for example, there are other people, or you know, a lot of times we go through heartbreaks, for example, from maybe some relationships in the past. And we, are, you know, we suffer. Love brings this kind of pain also when it's it's over. And then you are talking about benefits of love. How would you encourage someone that is, there are some benefits to love after his or her having broken like a couple of times <laughs> in the past? Well, it happens. I mean, not every love affair ends ends wonderfully. Um, mm. But the, the reason I wrote that chapter is okay. So what's so good about love? Why pursue it? Why yes. pursue it? Um, because it is beneficial. It's beneficial to us as human beings, individually. I mean, one, um, Eric Fromm writes, is very existential, um, that if you think about our existence in the world, in the universe, and where we are, uh, you know, regardless of whether you believe in a, uh, an afterlife or believe in a God or not, or spiritual, if you're spiritual. Um, I mean, if you think about our existence uh, in the universe, it can be very depressing when you realize how insignificant <laughs> we may be. And his view yeah. is love is the thing that gets you past that. It is love that gives you a purpose for life to love someone else and to go back to the nature boy and be loved in return. It gives your life yes. purpose. So um, it is a, it is a, a terrific, uh, terrific thing, a terrific benefit. And uh, mm. I recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Me too. <laughs> it gives you life purpose, direction, and it just makes you fuller. Basically it gives you, yeah, it gives you that, that feeling that yes, you are life. <laughs> yeah. Alive. Well, you, well, Philip, well, Philip, I'd love to just learn from you, like, you know, from your ages of experience and, you know, yeah. And yeah, from things that you've also seen in life, basically experiences, yeah. Um, is it like a process or is it like the right way to find true love or to find that right love for ourselves? There's no if there's right something way. like that. There's, there's no right way to find <laughs> it. 
people fall in love many different ways and uh, in many different, um, uh, many different manners. Um, what I focused on was, it's, this is not a dating book. This is not a book to tell you how to find somebody or what to do on a date. Mm-hmm. This is, this, you, you're past that already when you read this book. This book is, what are the guideposts, the signposts to see if there's a problem in your relationship, to address it, and what are the things to do to maintain your relationship? Now, as I said, the book is entitled The Essential Rules of Love. That's because I'm a lawyer. I was, my whole training uh, was uh, the rules of civil procedure, the rules of evidence, um, the rules of hearsay. Um, So when I started doing the research, I just naturally compartmentalized the things that I was reading about into, I said, how can I organize this? How can I organize this so it's intelligible? And it just naturally fell into kind of rules. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I consolidated them into what I call 10 do's and don'ts. And these are uh, suggestions, uh, things to uh, look out for from your partner, um, things for you to do. And one of the, uh, one author... um, talked about the most important thing about being in a relationship is being committed to that relationship. If there's anything that's, that's the most important thing, if you want it to succeed, you're committed to the success of the relationship. And what these do's and don'ts do is give you guidelines to what to do, what not to do. If you're committed to a relationship to keep that relationship healthy and happy and harmonious. Right, because everybody's going to have problems. Everybody's going to have disagreements. Um, so how do you deal with it? Um, and if you can do these things, they are not—they're um, uh, not—they can be difficult, but they're not hard to understand. They don't take a lot of time. Um, and if you can do them, I think you will—it will foster good relationships. If you can't. You have to ask yourself two questions. One, am I with the, with the wrong person? Maybe this is not the right person if I can't do these things. And I'm going to go over them now. You'll see they're relatively uh, easy, easy concepts. Uh, or is there something about me, my psychology, that prevents me from doing these things? Maybe I need to see a therapist or a counselor to understand about myself to see if there's something that is preventing me from doing these things or acting in this way. Uh, and it's that it's not the other person, but maybe it's me. So that's the two things that these uh, do's and don'ts uh, are helpful for. Hi, friend. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love to hear from you. Kindly send us a feedback. Are you following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, maybe on YouTube and other podcast platforms? Are you following us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook? We would love to connect with you on all platforms. Links and further details are available in the show notes of this episode. Thank you. (laughs) 
Yeah, please, would you like to share these um, do's and don'ts sure, with us? Like, what are the no essential problem. roles? Yes, yes. This is what I've consolidated. I've condensed the book to. Well, the first is, yeah. the first is you're, you're going to have disagreements. You're always going to have a disagreement in a relationship. But when you have a disagreement, don't, number one, don't raise your voice. Mm-hmm. Raising your voice is not a helpful thing. Raising your voice only puts the other person on the defensive. Um. I know people say, oh, we get into fights, you know, we like to yell and scream and whatnot. Well, uh, maybe that's so. But for most people, uh, it is not helpful to do that because the other person then turns off, stops listening to you. And now how am I going to defend myself if you're raising your voice to me? Um, Raising your voice, some psychologists talk about raising your voice and yelling as an act of abuse. Nobody wants to be abused. And being abused is not going to be helpful in terms of communication. The other thing in terms of communication and raising your voices, if you want to have a discussion about some serious thing, don't do it when you're drinking. (laughs) Drinking, you know, it's great. Have a few glasses of wine or whatnot. But it lowers your inhibitions and it makes you say things you may regret later on. If you're going to have a serious conversation about something, don't do it then. Say to each other, all right, you know, we'll talk about this tomorrow. Now we'll just enjoy ourselves and put that aside because you wind up saying things that you regret. So that's, that's uh, don't number one. Um, don't number two, don't call your partner a name unless it's a pet name uh, mm. that you have for each other. Uh, once you start calling somebody a name, psychologists call that bullying. Nobody likes to be bullied, and nobody is going to listen and, and, and engage in open conversation if they think they're being bullied. So it gets you nowhere by calling somebody and saying, you're stupid. Well, that's not going <laughs> to endear me to open up to you and tell you what I really feel and how, I have a, how to have a, an intelligent conversation. So... That's number two. Number three, don't criticize, condemn, or complain about the other person in front of other people. And I know people have seen this. You're out, maybe a cocktail party or dinner, and you hear somebody criticizing their partners. Oh, you do this, you do that, and why don't you do this? And it's unsettling. It's unsettling to the people around, but it's also degrading to the person who's on the receiving end. And it doesn't engender uh, open communication. Again, it encourages defensiveness and, um, and, 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 and vindictiveness. Because if you're going to criticize me, well, and then I'm going to criticize you. Um, it does not lend itself to good open communication. Um, you're, if, you, if you have a problem with the other person, save it for when you're alone and privately and you want to talk about it seriously and intelligently, not um, in in public. You don't want to embarrass your partner or your spouse. Um, And the other thing, the last don't is, don't tell your partner what to do about things that deal with themselves unless they ask you. Many people are in their second relationships, or in my case, third relationship. Um, and, And some of these psychiatrists, by the way, Eric Fromm was married three times, and he wrote the leading book. So sometimes it takes a little experience to get there. 
right? Um, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to um, tell the other partner what to do. Say, for instance, about their children. Tell them how to discipline their children unless they ask you or what to do with their money or what not to do with their money. Uh, people don't like to be told what to do. Now, if you're looking for help and you're looking for assistance, that's great. If you're asked, go ahead. But starting to tell people what to do um, and, and bossing them around is not great for an open, uh, mutually uh, uh, communicating relationship. It doesn't work that way. So those are the four, my four don'ts. Yeah, yes. I don't know if you have any questions I mean, about any of those or any comments, but those are basically, and again, if you can't do those things, if you, if you find yourself continually to do that, you got to ask yourself, why, why am I engaging this behavior? If I want to be committed to this relationship, this is not helpful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you're totally right. It makes a lot of sense when you, you speak about it right now, but you know, sometimes some people say, um, like when you talk about, we talk about um, not don't tell someone what to do with their issue, like how to treat their children or how to um, maybe spend their money or whatever. And some people think, okay, I am doing this out of love. I see my partner doing things in the way they are not meant to do, in my own opinion. So, out of love, I think I I I have to I have to <laughs> tell my partner what to do. What we use in that case, like you know, some people that they're not doing it out of you know um, trying to you know, um, bully or try to, um, uh, um, you know, lead the, the partner, but basically are just trying to, you know, show love and say, Oh, I see you for going into a pit. Let me rescue you and tell you what to do. You know, not to fall into that pit that you're about to fall into. Well, if you're going to do it out of love, the only thing that you should be telling somebody out of love not to do to watch out for, if they're doing something that's harmful to themselves, if you see that they're doing something that's harmful to themselves and not healthy, taking drugs, um, drinking excessively, gambling excessively, things that are destructive to themselves, well, then, yes, that's out of love to say, you know, um, you're spending our household money on, uh, on uh, card games, on Internet card games, and it's affecting our relationship. Uh, this is not, this is not good for us. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. Yes, that's out of love. <clears throat> but if the person is telling their child, uh, you have to go upstairs and do your homework now, it is not out of love to say, oh no, they don't have to do their homework. Let them watch TV. That's not out of love. You're not accomplishing anything there. You're not, that's, that's being the boss. That's trying to tell them how to raise their children. That it's their child. Let them raise their children unless they ask you. Um, mm. And uh, so th that's the way I would answer that that question um, in yeah. terms of doing something, uh, trying to tell somebody something out of love. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're kidding yourself if you're saying, I'm mm -hmm. telling them out of love. If I'm telling them they can watch TV instead of do their homework, you know, maybe I'm trying to ingratiate <laughs> myself with their child, but it really isn't, mm. um, it really isn't helpful to my relationship with my partner or my spouse. That's true. So as long as it is healthy, then we can, you should allow them to do what they want to do with whatever they own or want to, yeah. Yeah, or if they're not harmful, I mean, maybe you have a difference of opinion about how doing something. But there, mm. there's more than one way to skin a cat. 
and there's more than one way to do something. <clears throat> That's very That's different from somebody engaging in harmful behavior. Uh, Mm-hmm. So, that's the way I would answer that's that true. question. Yeah, yeah, and you know when you're talking about you know um calling of names apart from pet names, that also very is very valid because I know sometimes we get to we we lose our temper, we we just want to let go of that hunger and then please to calling other names that are not so you know <laughs> palatable or so good to hear and uh, you know i just want to know if, uh, like how do you deal with such a situation in which um maybe two partners are having a quarrel and they are not able to hold their temper what do you advise them to do at that moment in order to de-escalate the situation and prevent them from calling themselves you know bad names well if you if you if you sense that coming up for instance i use one example in my book <clears throat> You know, you're acting like a bitch. Well, mm. acting like a bitch means you are a bitch. And you, I mean, and that is a terrible thing. It has a terrible connotation. Uh, it's not going to get you anywhere in advancing communication between the two of you. Um, and the thing to do to de-escalate it is to bite your tongue. You can stop yourself. You're not, in, you're not an involuntary uh, robot. You have a thinking mind. You can stop yourself and say, okay, I'm going to walk out of the room. I'll be back when I calm down. Take a breather. Let's take 10 minutes. Because if you continue on that vein, nothing good is going to happen. You're much better off de-escalating the situation, stopping the conflict, and then returning maybe even another day. Tomorrow. Let's get together tomorrow at 9 o'clock after the kids are asleep. And let's continue this conversation and talk. Um, so that's what you what you have to do. And again, you, you know, you got to make the. Are you going to be perfect? Maybe you won't be perfect, but make the effort. If it's if you can stop yourself two out of three times, you're going a long way to to relieving and not, and not getting into that problem. Yeah. Well, that means we have to always be intentional in that situation. Okay, in that situation, for example. Um, just breathe in, breathe out, and analyze the situation. Uh, am I going to explode? <laughs> if I'm going to explode, let me just walk out of the room and <laughs> take a breather. Yeah, take yourself out of that situation. Yeah, take yourself yes. away from oh, the situation. Yes, that's good. That's very good. I did. I did like some other tips you could share with us on how we could, you know, create and maintain a long-lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationship. Well, okay. Uh, now we get into the do's, the positive things mm. that you can do. Mm. Uh, in a relationship. Uh, the first thing is doing something for your partner without being asked. And this is what Fromm meant by love is action. Um, doing even, you know, a little thing, bringing home flowers without being asked, uh, saying, you know what, tonight we're going to go out to dinner. Um, uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to cook. Um, uh, I'll do, I'll take out the garbage today. You don't have to do that. I mean, I'm just talking about little, these are just little things. Um, but you can do big things, um, for the person, um, uh, bringing them home a gift, um, offering to drive the kids to school that day, do something without being asked so that you, you, you're showing that you take the initiative. You're thinking about the other person. And I'm going to do something for you. It puts in that other person such a feeling of thoughtfulness and 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 and, and being thought of. It just opens up that person's heart. 
It has it. That's what it does. So that's number one. Number two, try and talk to each other at least once a day. I know this is difficult with children, but try and talk, have a, a serious conversation about what's going on that day, what's your your plans for the day, what happened that day, how your day was, how it went. Uh, if you can't, Susan and I used to have a an organizational meeting every morning before we left for work over breakfast. Okay. What are you doing today? What am I doing today? What is it that I can do to help you? What can you do to help me? It's not long. Five minutes while we're eating breakfast. All right. What's your day going to be like? What's my day going to be like? If you can't do that and you're out running around and people, you know, got to take kids to school and make, make buses and whatnot. All right. At the end of the day, after the kids go to sleep, how was your day? What problems did you have today? And this doesn't have to be long. You know, five minutes just to show each other that you have an interest in the other person and the other person has an interest in you. Turn off the TV before you start watching Netflix. Turn off the Internet. <laughs> turn off the phone. Not five minutes. Just show the person that you have an interest in them. You do this every day, every day, five days a week, four days a week. It goes a long way to opening up communication. And if somebody has a problem, then you can say, you know, I've got a problem with something that's going on here. Uh, you never take out the garbage. It always falls to me to do it. It's very difficult for me. To, I'd like to talk to you about it because I don't feel good about having to do this. I mean, unless you say you've decided, okay, this is your chore that you do. This is my chore that I do. But if somebody's always picking up after the other person, somebody's always going around cleaning up and tidying up. You know, and you start to resent that. Well, in this five-minute talk during the day, you can say, you know what? I have a problem with something, and I'd like to set aside some time for us to talk about it. Because communication is the key to a good relationship. So that's a reason to do this. Have a conversation at least once a day. Try to have it once a day. Yes. Third, most importantly, always respect the other person. Love, if, 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 if anything, is love is respect. Once you start disrespecting the other person, uh, you're showing them that you do not care. You may be looking to harm them uh, or hurt them in some way. And always treat the other person with respect. Um, and if you do that, that goes a long way to fostering, um, you know, a close relationship and to keeping it. Um, yeah. Keeping. How do you keep it? I mentioned this before at the beginning of our discussion. Do things together. Yeah. Do things. Now, you don't have to do everything together. In a relationship, you don't give up your identity. You really shouldn't give up your identity. That's not healthy. But find activities that you could do together. As I said, Susan and I garden together. But I'll give you an example of something that we didn't do together, which was not healthy. Um, I like to golf. And she golfed as a kid. So I thought this would be a good thing to start doing together, spending time together. I bought her a set of golf clubs. <clears throat> we went out on the golf course a number of times. And she had a problem uh, following one of the fundamental rules of etiquette of golf. is That is, you have to move along so you don't hold up the people behind you. Well, Susan would hit a shot, and she thought she was going for a walk in the park, just ambling, <laughs> walking around, walking around. I go, Come on, you gotta move. You gotta, you gotta move. And she didn't like to play with other people. 
She was um, a, a little embarrassed. Golf is a very social game. You play with strangers. I've never, I've played with hundreds and hundreds of people I never met before. Uh, never met somebody who plays golf who wasn't a nice, nice, decent person. Um, and you had a good time with, even though you never met them before. Well, she was very, Susan was very shy and didn't like that. She felt uncomfortable in that situation. So we soon realized golfing was not for us. Just didn't, so we didn't do it. I'd go golfing. She'd go do her pottery. Now, I didn't try and learn pottery because she did pottery. That was her thing. Golfing was my thing. So we kept our individual identities and our individual interests, but we also did things together. And it's the doing things together, which is the, uh, the act of, of helping to bond, helping to, uh, conti to continue and grow that relationship. In that Craigslist ad, I, uh, I told you about one of the things I said was I like fine dialing and I like gardening. <laughs> and many years later, when we bought the house, when we were in the garden and we we're doing it, I said to her, I bet you think that I just said that, that I like gardening as a come on. But you can see, <laughs> I really did like it. I really, really something that we both, I didn't just say that for the sake of saying, we really yeah. both enjoyed it. And uh, she got a laugh out of that. So oh, that's good. Um, now, this thing, my next do may seem superficial to some people, but I don't think so. And that is take care in your appearance for the other person. I know some people are slobs, you know, okay. Well, if you're both slobs and you don't mind it, and that's the way you dress, okay, that's your thing. But most people aren't. And if you're other half um and you're going out it looks nice you should look nice for them they'll appreciate it they will appreciate that you are doing this for them that you look nice as a couple so i think it's important and this i i, I can't tell you uh, any research i can't cite any research that supports this i'll be honest with you uh <laughs> this is my own uh my own uh, belief here but Showing the other person that you take care of your, you're interested in the way you dress, the way you look for them, tells them that you're concerned about them and you care about them. Yeah, of, of course. Right? Of course. Yeah. You, you, you feel proud of them when they're beside you, for example, and you could always, you know, <laughs> yeah, just more attractive to them or attracted to them basically because you feel like they, they, dress, they took their time. <laughs> to really dress the way they yeah, dress. Yeah, you took the yeah. time to think about it, to think about me. And I'm and I'm yes. proud to be with you because you look good. You know, that goes both ways. Mm. So it seems like a little thing. Doesn't seem like again, it's not written in the books, but I think it's something that people should uh, should think about in terms of a of a do. But my last do is give the other person space. You can't control the other person. You can't be with them all the time. It's not healthy that you that you lose your own identity and you insist on doing everything together. The other person has to have their own interests, their own friends. You know, let the girls go out with the girls. Uh, you don't have to be there. Um, uh, she should not have to insist on coming to a Yankee game with you if you're going with your, you know, your, your boyfriends. Um, so you got to have, you have, on the one hand, you do things together. On the other hand, give the other person space to be themselves. That's how you, 
You want to be healthy. You want to be a healthy person to be in a relationship, healthy emotionally and mentally, I mean, in addition to physically, but mentally and physically. Um, and that's one of the ways to do it, to keep your own identity and to bond two individuals coming together and bonding in a relationship while still keeping their own identity. So those are my yeah. 10 do's and don'ts. And as I say, um, if you can't do those things, you got to start asking yourselves, why, why can't we do this? What is it that's, that's stopping us from doing this? Is it that I don't like to be with you when we're doing something together? You know, and, 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 and go out of your way to do something with the other person. Try it. I mean, another person may say, look, uh, I love museums. All right. I hate museums. Well, okay, but let me see. I'll try. I'll go with you on this occasion. Let's see. You want to go to the Metropolitan? Let's go to the Metropolitan and see what it's all about. I'll do that with you. Mm -hmm. Just to show that you're willing to uh, participate with them and you care about what they think and what they feel. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really the nutshell of the, of the, of the, or the takeaway from the do's, that you're doing things that shows and demonstrates to the other person that you're thinking about them, you're caring about them, and you're interested in them. That's mm, what, as yes, I say, yes. opens up the other person's heart. Oh, dear. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have a question to respect. When you're talking about um, love requires you to respect the, the other person, your partner. Um, how can we truly respect our partner? Like, what, what does it mean to respect someone that you're in love with? Don't denigrate them. Don't... Mm -hmm. um, don't, uh, if they're doing something or they're engaged in an activity, don't say anything that uh, makes one think that you, that you don't think that's important or you don't think that's worthwhile. Um, don't call them names. Uh, talk to them in a way that shows that you're interested in what they're doing and that you are concerned about how they feel and what they're doing. That all goes into respect. Um, if you just go away off on your own um, and do something on your own, um, that's, you know, it's disrespectful. Um, so be concerned about the other person. Think about the other person. Um, little things. You sit down at the table. You go out to a restaurant. You sit, down at the, you sit down at the table. The waiter comes over and you turn to your wife and say, okay, tell them what you'd like. You don't tell them what I want first. Tell them what you <laughs> like first. Tell them what you want. It's yeah. a little thing, but it shows respect. That's true. Wow. I mean, little, little things that, you know, that shows that we love our partner and we respect them also. Yeah. These <laughs> are very, very important. Yes, yes. I, I would just like to know, you know, um, just as a means of reflection, like whenever I think about your relationship with Susan, because I know she is the inspiration behind this book, uh, The Essential Rules of Love. Um, what stands out the most to you whenever you just remember, you know, some moments that you shared together? What are like those moments that you, you reminisce on, like you remember and just smile or makes you laugh? Hmm. Well, there's something, one of the psychiatrists talk about love and talks about um, resonance, where there's mutual resonance, where you feel what the other person's feeling. There's a lot of psychological 
uh, experimentation and research on uh, emotions and how you can sense and feel someone else's emotions and someone else's emotions can influence you. If that other person is sad, you pick that up and you can become sad. Um, it's called resonance, that you can look into that other person's eyes and you know what they feel, they know what you feel. Mutual resonance uh, comes from Thomas Lewis's uh, research. Um, one of the first uh, years we were going out, I uh, took her New Year's Eve to the Rainbow Room. It's not anymore. It doesn't around anymore. It was a fancy restaurant here in New York. And um, a photographer happened to come by and take a picture of us. And uh, we just, he happened to catch this. We just happened to be looking at each other's eyes. And we just happened to both be smiling at each other at the same time. And this guy uh -huh. happened to catch that picture. And it was just um, such a positive, um, you know, picture and demonstration. I mean, you could just tell, looking at that picture, that we were in love with each other. You could just, mm. just tell. Um, so that's something that sticks out in my mind. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I'm just trying to picture it in my head right now. I'm like, oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It really was. Yeah. yeah. And in your book, you talked about, or you wrote, up, so you write about um, um, the, the powerful bond of love that survives even death, basically. So how and why does the strength of a powerful bond survive death? Uh, why? Because love doesn't die when the person mm. dies. When the body dies and passes on, uh, that feeling uh, exists. It's a palpable feeling. Why? It's in your brain. It really is in your brain. I mean, the chemical reactions that caused love and caused the feelings of love and attraction um, are still in your brain. They don't die. Um, there's been much written about, uh, uh, love after death. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning's, uh, famous poem, uh, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Well, everybody knows the beginning of that poem. Um, but the last part of the poem, the last couple of lines is that she will love thee more after death. And there's a debate among literature experts about whether she meant that she would see him when they both went on to the afterlife um, and she would love him more then, or that she would just now in the earthly sense, she would still love him and love him more now that he was not God. But it is a, uh, anybody who has experienced that, the uh, death uh, of a loved one um, knows that it survives survives death um, there's a picture actually in the end of the book that we had taken when Susan got sick we did a lot of traveling and uh, we had a picture taken uh, which was very kind of prophetic at the time um, black and white kind of dramatic picture of uh, a picture of me um, of her actually looking at the camera very beautiful and I was they kind of caught me on the side and I had my arm around her and it was 
really, it, it, it kind of symbolized that I was protecting her uh, from what she was going through with the, the cancer treatment and whatnot. And it was, it is a picture of our relationship. Again, the picture survived, but the meaning of that picture and the protection of her uh, and what went on with that and all of those memories uh, all also survived uh, her death. Um, so uh, it was a very compelling thing for me to realize how many authors uh, have experienced and written about that phenomenon. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a bond that cannot, cannot be broken even after one person you know, passes away to the other side. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for someone out there who is searching for true love, what advice do you have for them? Who is like someone out there who is like, yes, Philip, I've heard your story and I feel so much in the need to, to fall in love, to find true love. How would you advise such a person? Well, as I say, this is not a dating book. I really can't advise you <laughs> on how to date. Uh, yeah, the yeah. only thing, the only advice I could give is be yourself. Be yourself. Mm. Be, and don't try and change the other person. You start getting into a relationship. Uh, and this applies to people who are getting into relationships. And you see, well, I'm attracted to this person. I'm physically attracted to this person. But I can't stand that he does this. can't stand that he does that. And I'm going to change him. I'm going to get involved in this relationship, and I'm going to change him. Well, guess what? You're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. So my advice is know yourself. You have to know yourself, understand who the other person is, and love that person for who they are for who they are and you're not going to find out for who they are until a little time i mean you you know you fall in love with somebody start going out with them you're not going to find out for who they are who they're really about three months six months a year hmm. very often you don't find out who somebody is until you start living with them and you see what they're really like and That's excuse true. me you don't want to be in a relationship and think that you're going to change the person so those are my two pieces of advice. Be yourself. Don't be, don't try and be somebody else. Don't be a phony about who you are. Because when you go back to being yourself, if the other person fell in love with the phony, then the, then the person's not there. Then you're not there. So yeah, be, that's true. be yourself, number one. Number two, mm-hmm. don't try and change the other person. Understand who the other person is, their good points, their bad points. If you can live with their bad points or the things that you're not so thrilled about, great. Don't go into a relationship thinking you're going to change them. You're going to get heartbreak that way. Those are my two pieces of advice in terms of how to find true love. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's not a dating book, but I just wanted to, you know, (laughs) before you get into that stage of, you know, maintaining and creating that love life, you have to at least find the true love first. And uh, that's why I was asking that question. Thank you so much for, right. for sharing those right. two points. Right. Be yourself. Excellent question. Yes. So uh, um, the essential rules of love can be found on Amazon. I'm going to place the link to your websites in the show notes of this episode. So I, I encourage everyone who is listening to get the book, read it. It's a must read for you if you want to, you know, maintain or, you know, build up that love life that you have currently. So, Philip, and if there are people out there who still have some more questions to ask you, maybe they want to work 
close out with you, basically, uh, what is the best way to connect and to work with you? Well, it's on my website. I have, actually have a website, uh, philrasati.com, <clears throat> and my email is there. I'd be happy to speak to anybody. Uh, thank you, Toby, for your remarks, your kind remarks about the book. I appreciate that. Um, I think they are helpful. Um, it is not a book. I mean, many of these self-help books um, by psychologists involve taking personality tests, involve all of these uh, 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 role-playing back and forth. They're very detailed, very time-consuming. Uh, I know people that have started them and then have been unable to finish them. Uh, I'm not saying they don't have their place. They certainly have their place. But my book is a little more condensed and I think an easy to read and easy to understand for the average person uh, to see if if your, if your partner can't do these things, is this a red flag that there's maybe something wrong in our relationship that we should address? And are these the things that we can do to uh, continue the relationship? So uh, anybody who has any questions or wants to uh, uh, communicate with me, Phil Rosati, R-U-S-S-O-T-T-I.com. You'll see the email link there. I'll be happy to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. The link to your website will be in the show of this episode. Your email information is there. Link to your book is also there. And if they want to find out more about what you do, apart from writing, you know, if they want to look into your law history and everything <laughs> that you, you've accomplished. <laughs> I'm not here looking. They can find that. I have enough I believe that, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, a little bit, maybe you want to read more about you, it's also found on your, on your website. Thank you so much, Philip. I really appreciate this wonderful conversation. I am so blessed that, you know, you spoke about love, about building our relationship and the do's and don'ts in a relationship. So that was awesome. Thank you so much. Well, Toby, thank you very much. I hope your uh, audience enjoyed it and I uh, appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Wow. wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye. Bye.